On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Selling England by the Pound. Welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode, I'm joined by my very good friends Ken Gregory and Paul Zotter as we continue on into the Genesis catalog, covering Selling England by the Pound. gentlemen welcome to the palaver here this evening and the year 1973 indeed almost a good album we got here <laughs> so so selling england by the pound the the you know the the follow up had the unenviable follow up to foxtrot right i mean you know how do you how do you follow up an album like that there's a lot of I, I don't know if there was a lot of pressure at the time, but in retrospect, it seems like there should be. Let me say Whoa. something potentially I'm provocative. Scared. There are perhaps certain parallels in terms of sound quality and maybe songwriting quality in the relationship between this album to Foxtrot and say something like, Tormato to going for the one. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I don't think I'm I'd I'd laugh at that comment. I uh I, here here I'm gonna start my portion of of selling England England by the pound by saying when I first started listening to this album, I thought it came before Foxtrot. Okay. And with that frame of reference, I liked it a lot better yeah. <laughs> than I do realizing that it came after Foxtrot, which is kind of alarming unto itself that that, that simple change in perception would alter, alter my feelings about the record. But it, I think uh, I, what I'll add to that is that, you know, in the, in the reissue one in interviews, one of them mentions that they really didn't have a lot of material coming into the recording of this album, which could possibly explain why there's so much wanking going on through, through most of it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny you should say that, Paul, because I don't know if you recall, like, I, I've been sort of preparing for Genesis. Uh, what is it? It's probably the eight, nine, ten months at this point. And when I started sort of getting into this, because I knew I needed to, to really bone up on this, this early part of the catalog. And at the time, I don't know if you were, when we started talking about this and we were, I forget if it was Tom or Colby, someone had asked about, you know, something to listen to. And I said, maybe it was you, Paul. And I said, start with Selling England by the Pound. Because at that point, I thought, Selling England was, you know, the the unknown gem in the the Gabriel era catalog, and 
when I came back to it this time for, you know, getting back to it after we've done all the other stuff, as well as, you know, I've been just listening to The Lamb a ridiculous number of times, I really, I wasn't as enamored with, with this album as I was eight months ago, which is kind of weird, but. I'm going to hold up. Can't hear you. Uh, for you gentlemen, a visual uh, indication of uh, what it is that got me into Genesis. And, oh, and, and oh. we addressed it in the previous episode. Do you, do you see my mixtapes here? Foxtrot and Duke. That's, uh, yeah, Kathy made me that same tape. Right. And then there were three. I didn't have that one. Right, right. So um, there, there may have been one more in the series. Uh, I, I did my best to dig through cassettes. And um, uh, it's, just, it's just fantastic looking at these and, you know, realizing how much material we had. <laughs> Is that Tom? That's, that's Tom taking selfies with Clive Davis in the background. <laughs> Oh, no. oh, I'm sorry, Ken. I didn't mean to walk all over you, but that was <laughs> that was too funny. Uh, okay, sorry. Well, well, yeah, yeah. Actually, um, the and then there were three cassette has uh, from Genesis to Revelation on the other side. Um, so, so these. Two cassettes got the most play, and, and I stored them somewhere very special. And selling England by the pound did not make the mixtapes, and they weren't, you know, embedded in my brain in high school. And it, it, I guess, you know, there may be a reason for that. It just didn't reach the level of Foxtrot or Duke or in Genesis Revelation, or for that matter, and then there were three. Yeah. You know, I, I, I can't really argue with that. So, Ken, perhaps you'd like to give us a little 1973 context so we can see what else was available when Selling England by the Pound was released. Well, you know, 1972, our last episode for Foxtrot was just an amazing year. And um, uh, that was October. And then, you know... Uh, Selling England by the Pound was October of 73. So, so there was one year in between. And it, it, it's a decent year, um, particularly for Pink Floyd. Uh, <laughs> do you guys recall which, which Pink Floyd album came out in 1973? Mm. I want to say, is it Dark Side, baby. Oh, is it Dark Side in 73? Which shit? Yeah, yeah, oh, okay. yeah. So, so recording technology has really stepped up. In in '69, we we went bonkers, ape shit over the, over the bands and the writing, but the recording technology was still a little wackadoodle. So mm. by '73, everything is starting to get crystal clear, powerful, compressed, and beautiful. Um, and it, 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 I think that works against the Genesis formula, and I'll explain why. But uh, uh, right, after, right after we had uh, Foxtrot in October of 72, uh, Pictures at an Exhibition came out. I wanted to get that one on the list because it's just so mm -hmm. wonderful. 
Uh, let me see. Hawkwind, uh, Gentle Giant has Octopus. ELO has no answer. And then I'm going to jump to, uh, let me see here, 72. The Beach Boys has Holland. Rick Wakeman, The Six Wives of Henry VIII. Hey. Ah. We, we talked about that on the Spot the Drummer episode. <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> Anyone has no idea what we're talking about, go scroll back down and find a Spot the Drummer episode. And I lost miserably in Spot the Drummer. I, I everybody often, won Everybody won on Spot the Drummer. Especially <laughs> Buddy. I, I often think I need to go back in and retitle that so people know what the hell it actually is. But Featuring uh, Philip D'Souza, right? Wasn't that his name? Was that his name? It could be. D'Souza, yeah. D'Souza yeah. was his last name. Yeah, yeah. He was the wild card. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry, Ken. Indeed. Um, are you guys down with Lark's Tongues and Aspic from... Yeah. Oh, sure. yeah. <laughs> okay. Wonderful. <laughs> and um, w- w- we've got a fantastic Yes Live album. Do you know the one I'm talking about here? Uh, that would be Yes the Songs. Yes. Um Mike Oldfield, Tubular Bells. Someday we'll we'll figure this out because it's making all the prog rock charts, and we have to dig a little deeper there. Uh, Manfred Mann's Earth Band. Uh, Jethro Tull, A Passion Play. Queen has the Queen album. Uh, Keep Yourself Alive, I believe. Um, Genesis did Genesis Live, which you know came out in July. Uh, Frank Zappa and the Mothers. Overnight Sensation, Gentle Giant in a Glass House, Renaissance, Ashes are Burning, and then Genesis, Sailing England by the Pound. So the uh, the pressure was on for our boys. Nice. Mm. It's a, it's yeah, you know, it's funny, Ken, you mentioned, you said that some of the studio revolutions that were happening or something to that nature didn't play well for, for Genesis. I would say, yes. So I would like to talk a little bit more about that. So what, what exactly do you mean when, when you suggest that? I'm laying down the gauntlet. They started with a folk influence, and any musician who you know came into the fold, particularly Phil, had to play nice with the folky elements, the 12 strings, the subtleties, and they lose the subtleties. Uh, Rutherford seems to be constantly hammering the bass, not, you know, switching it up. And mm. I, I hear less dynamics. And even even when they get into the uh, nylon string or the cat gut or whatever it is, it seems to be uh, kind of a an aside rather than a staple of the music. Interesting. Okay. I just thought you meant it didn't sound as good as some of the other stuff that was out in the, uh, in, in the, in the to- same time frame, which I – kind of don't think it does i think at this point in time genesis is still a little bit behind the times in their studio prowess yeah yeah i'm sorry but uh uh it's just at a point technologically where uh phil and mike and tony i think are overpowering the story yeah It, it you know it's great that you say that and i wonder if we'll Get, find this in the particulars. I feel like they just haven't ever really learned how to mix all this shit together properly, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, they, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, in the Foxtrot episode 
how busy some of the stuff is and, and, and how much I liked it. But, but there are parts in selling England by the pound where it, there is just so much stuff happening. You're right. It tramples all over, all over what's going on. And, 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 and to me, I, I think that's where it, it feels a lot like there's just so much wanking going on because just everybody's doing so much and you're not really getting a chance to hear all of the parts fitting together like maybe we have before. And it's funny. I listened to some of this on headphones for the first time just in the last day or two. And I heard so much more than I ever had before. Um, and I, that may seem like an obvious statement, but there were hidden gems that, you know, things happening that I didn't realize were happening before, which up till this point, I had heard things. If I was just listening in my kitchen or, or wherever, I had heard all that before. So, uh, yeah, there is a little bit of, uh, of density going on here in this album that I think distracts from, from the overall package. See, that's interesting because I have not listened to this album in headphones yet at all. So maybe that's something I'll put on my list to do afterwards. Mm. Make sure you hit the stereo remix, though, to do that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, Joe, uh, uh, do humorous, though, because you're kind of the audiophile. Is this in your vinyl collection? It is in my vinyl collection. In fact, while I'm fairly convinced i have a cd copy i have not been able to locate it in in the recent time frame <laughs> wow so so i have been i've been relying mostly on my my vinyl copy which you know there there's actually a, a note in the wikis that there were apparently there were there were some negotiations that were going on amongst the band with the end result that you know everyone just got what they wanted on the record and so the, the runtime was a little bit longer than perhaps it should have been for vinyl pressings of the day. And mm. I believe Tony is quoted as saying that, and I forget how exactly he said it, but in, in Tony's opinion, the, the vinyl pressing then had reduced sound quality. And, and that, that may be some of, of my feelings on you know the overall sound of this as well. Oh, so anyone who composed something that came well enough along got their piece on the album, I guess is the idea here. There's yeah, apparently there was some, some arm wrestling going on with various parts. It was certainly, Cinema Show should have been longer, and I think bits and mm. pieces of that may have wound up in Epping Forest, perhaps. Collins did not remember the album being particularly difficult to put together, but said the Chessington Sessions was where the basis of the cinema show was put together. He had been listening to the jazz fusion group Mahavishnu Orchestra, which influenced yeah. him to play more complicated time signatures on the drums for Dancing with the Moonlit Night and other parts on the album. When, yeah, now I don't when, know much about the... Mavahishnu Orchestra, but the little that I do know, my memory pulls back from its depths, wanking. So I think that that makes sense <laughs> to me that this album, and I remember, I remember um, Steve Hackett sort of mentioning that that, that they were influenced at that, by them at this point in time. Mm -hmm. um, 
Well, John McLaughlin's a great guitarist, and you'll yeah. recognize him. Uh, and uh, you know, John Luke Ponty. Um, yeah, played with him. You'd you'd recognize his. I'll tell I'll tell you what my neighbor. Uh, that when I lived in Newtown, I had a neighbor, Brian. I can't think for the life of me is his last name right now, but he was big. Um, Prague guy. He was the one that got me into. Thank you, Ken Crimson, and he. <coughs> sorry, gave me. I borrowed this CD from him. Uh, it was John McLaughlin and Carlos Santana, and it. I think there were three tracks on the CD, and they were all, you know, like wanking. They were. They were all like twenty minutes long, each one, uh, and it was just guitar overload okay but it was Fair cool enough. it was definitely cool who else Jan hammer well there you go Jan hammer mm. was in the mahavishnu orchestra wow, as, a, as a founding yeah. member amazing never knew that the wikis talk about dancing with the moonlit night and it says the track ends with a series of 12 string guitar figures that were originally supposed to seg into the cinema show to make mm. a piece around 20 minutes in length, but this idea was dropped as the result was too comparable to the 23-minute Supper's Ready on Foxtrot. I, I think that there are parts of Epping Forest that bring me closer to Supper's Ready. Cinema show has its own vibe. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Ken. I think that particularly in the way that Peter Gabriel tells the story of the Battle of Epping Forest. I get much more of the relation, you know, to to Supper's Ready um, than anything else. Cinema Show is Cinema Show is has just the most beautiful guitar lines at the in the beginning. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's sensational. I don't think I don't think Cinema Show should be any longer than it is. I think it's yeah. plenty long. So let's let's talk about the particulars, and then we can get into the uh, the songs here. So we've got Selling England by the Pound was was released as Ken mentioned in October of nineteen seventy three. Was produced by John Burns and Genesis. Um, I tried to I looked up John Burns. I wasn't overwhelmed by anything that I saw there. Although he did um, he did have some credits with you know Tull and and some other prog people like that. Band lineup, Peter Gabriel, uh, Tony Banks, Steve Hackett, Mike Rutherford, and Phil Collins. Track listing, Dancing with the Moonlit Night, I Know What I Like in Your Wardrobe, Firth of Fifth, More Fool Me, The Battle of Epping Forest, After the Ordeal, The Cinema Show, and Isle of Plenty. Selling England by the Pound is the fifth studio album from the English progressive rock band Genesis, released in October 1973 on Charisma Records. It reached number three in the UK and number 70 in the US. A single from the album, I Know What I Like in Your Wardrobe, was released in February 1974 and became the band's first top 30 hit in the UK. The album was recorded in August 1973, following the tour supporting the previous album, Foxtrot. The group set aside a short period of time to go write new material, which covered a number of themes, including the loss of English folk culture and an increased American influence, was which was reflected in the title. Following the album's release, the group set out on tour, where they drew an enthusiastic reception from fans. I do want to read one quote here from Mike Rutherford's The Living Years as it pertains to this. 
And, and I guess it actually speaks to the point that I made a little bit in, in the front here. He says, the next album was difficult to write because Foxtrot had been so successful. We wrote Selling England in Chessington in the big old country house of a doctor. There was a massive oak tree in the garden outside the window, the leaves hanging down, the boughs sagging. And every time I saw it, I had a little moment of recognition. It seemed to be a mirror of how it felt to be making the record. And then he goes on to say, the trouble was selling, and he talks about how the songwriting method had changed a little bit. So rather than everyone bringing in a little bit, they had started to sort of write the via band jams. And he said, the problem with selling England is that the jams never really fired up. When you jammed all afternoon and you got nowhere, it'd be a bit demoralizing, which is probably why I spent so long staring out of the window at that bloody tree. There seems to be some sort of sophomore quality to selling England by the pound after Foxtrot, both in the recording of it and in its final final uh, product. I will say this about selling England by the pound. No doubt, it, as, a, as a go-between nursery crime and Foxtrot, I liked it much better, right? I admit, <laughs> yeah. I admit that. right in there. <laughs> but but All to right. go from Foxtrot to this, eh, you know. But there, you can level any criticism you want at selling England by the pound. I don't think I can argue with any of it. But in every single song, there are some really terrific moments that you can't deny either. So yeah. it, there is just something that that doesn't quite come together on this record that 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 did. Uh, for Foxtrot, yeah, but there are some super highlights um, on this on this record for me. So, well, and and at the risk of of drawing the ire of Genesis fandom, I'm going to say that you know I I, I think there's a problematic trend between Foxtrot selling England and The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. I don't think it's a huge surprise that it, you know, that the five man lineup didn't necessarily work out. It's almost mm -hmm. like there were, there was, there was too much there, too much going on. And we, we kind of mentioned it in the Foxtrot episode. There was, there was something magical about the balance of natural forces at that point. And I think maybe with the, with the success of that and everything else, everyone starts to want to sort of flex their muscles maybe. And it's, it's much harder to get all of those muscles flexing in unison. And so you have this, this imbalance starts to come out. You know, if you think about, let's use a car analogy, right? If you have, you know, a, a super duper uh, performance car of whatever variety you'd like to pick, and one of your tires starts to go out of balance, you can still drive it really fast. And you can still corner and do all the things that you want to do, but you're going to feel that sort of little dissonant vibration, right? So, so that's kind of what I see here. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, part of the reason, and looking ahead maybe further than we should, part of the reason why A Trick of the Tail feels so fresh and exciting was because there was sort of that pressure release, right? I'll buy that. I'm, yep. I'm picking up. <laughs> I'm picturing too many bodies in a sports car. <laughs> it's fascinating that all of our favorite bands, particularly Yes, 
even Rush, and now Genesis, the industry does something, records do something. I'm sure Charisma, you know, had visions and their fans have ideas and technology changes and they're playing live concerts to more people, louder, better, stronger. And it, it, it shows in the drumming and the bass playing and the mixing and everything. And it's kind of like, oh, guys, this cute folky thing that we did just kind of isn't anymore. Here, check out Dark Side of the Moon and everything is going to sound really fucking badass and loud. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, and, and uh, you know, maybe maybe to that end, sometimes sometimes bands can assimilate influences well and evolve and sometimes not so well. I th- I don't know that they didn't assimilate the Mahashevit, my uh, <laughs> those John guys. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I, I think they may have they may have assimilated those guys pretty well. Billy Cobham. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Phil's hi hat work is just stunning on here, isn't it? Because you can hear every friggin' hit, yeah. and he's 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 right on his game. Yeah, I mean, and, and Phil is you know, and like I said, that's that's the beauty of this, right? Because. And, and we we talk about this every freaking episode with Genesis coming in when we came in, you know, Phil's the front man, and then eventually, you know, pretty quickly you figure out, oh, he he was a drummer too, great. But I, and while I think that his drumming on on those later records is still phenomenal, it, it's it's different phenomenal, and you really you really have mm. to go back here when when Phil was quote unquote just the drummer to really see when you've got someone who's focused on one thing phil's work in early genesis when he didn't have any other duties to to discharge is is really eye-opening for me well well it is impressive uh although it's you know i mean it's very busy and dense i think the the best part about the later genesis the the three-man version of genesis is they just began to be in service of the song. We've talked a lot about it with Rush as they move through moving pictures and Grace Under Pressure and so on. You know, in some of the the moments of uh, the Rabin era, yes, particularly when Trevor Horn was involved, you know, everything being in service to the song, everything moving towards delivering the song. And they start to tame themselves a little bit. All of them do. I mean, Tony Banks uh, does the same thing. And everybody, everybody just kind of right now is putting everything they can particularly you know i mean the battle of epping forest it's like let's take every idea we've ever had in (laughs) seven eight and smash it in and 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 just let we'll just let peter do whatever he wants to do while we're doing this and and the fact that he can even tell that story with all of that stuff going on is a triumph in itself but but isn't that a young man's game right you it know, is, yeah. They, well, you're you're absolutely right, Paul. You know, in in later Genesis, there is this sort of more relaxed atmosphere to it, but I still think they find ways, even playing relaxed, Phil especially, to make it interesting. And as oh an oh my ex- gosh, at, yeah. As an example, I will point to that's all. Mm. Mm. 
it's amazing that you picked that song to say that right now because I can't wait to fucking talk about that song. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a badass um, sort of picture disc of that song. Wow. Yeah, right? I mean, because that song... I mean, it's it's as in, in a way it's as commercial as you can get. But when you listen to that fucking song, man, it there is nothing but badassness going on in ev- everywhere. Yeah, um, I think I go directly in my mind. I go to things like driving the last spike and and even um, uh, living forever uh, from the We Can't Dance album. I mean, there there are tracks on that album that I would put up against any Genesis track. One of the interesting things, though, I think in <laughs> I keep going back to the Battle of Epping Forest, we'll but one of the things one of the things that happens like in 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 selling England by the pound is that there there's almost an unnaturalness to some of what they do. Right. It's just like, you know, like, hey, Steve, you need to play a little riff in seven, eight here. And he's like, oh, uh, OK. Right. It doesn't even like sound natural. Like it's, it sounds like so contrived. Okay. There's going to be a guitar riff here. I need to play this and I'm going to play it perfectly in seven beats. And, and, and I will say this the first time I heard it, I smiled ear to ear. I loved it. And I, you know, battle of that pink forest was probably outside of Foxtrot, the single song that just kind of grabbed me and said, okay, you're going to end up liking early Genesis. Don't worry. And, you know, but I listen to it now a couple months later and I'm like, yeah, it just kind of sounds like they're just trying to be cool. You know, I don't know. Let's put a, <laughs> let's, let's, let's take the lens and just turn it a few degrees around and get the other side. Um, maybe they're doing what they always did as kids and as young adults and they're doing what they always did, but now it's just magnified because they're famous because the recording technology is better because they're all a little bit more confident. And this is just the trajectory. Yeah. Where it just, yeah. So, so let's, let's get into this so that we can get to the battle of Epping forest. So Paul can finish out his thoughts. Dancing with the moonlit night. I, got to tell you this time around i didn't find this song particularly compelling (laughs) (laughs) i like this song until the drums come in and then it's kind of boring for me the rest of the way although there are some beautiful melodies but that's it's not it's not the highlight uh, oh but the the beginning uh, is so worthy of a beginning. i i totally agree before the drums come in and then and then you get this recapitulation at the end of the album it's wonderful wonderful Well, I, I do kind of like that that bookend quality to it. I think that was kind of cool the way they did that. But yeah. you know, I think I, I don't know. It, it's like I I looked at the lyrics and it just it. I understand it's it's more about England and sort of a response to you know this this idea that they were you know being influenced too much by American music or whatnot, and they wanted to be you know, dutifully English and, and I get that, but the problem is it just doesn't speak to me at this point. Mm. Well, it works in Epping. 
<laughs> I mean, just just sticking to uh, British dialogue and British themes and characters. Yeah, I, I mean, it's like I said, it's not it's not terrible. I don't skip it. Um, it's just I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Point taken. Mm. Well, that was quick. Yep. Yeah. We're doing this whole thing quick. So, uh, you know, I know what I like is a is definitely a highlight for me. It's something fresh. It's something new. Uh, you can compare it to the Beatles or whatever. I I dig it. You can you loop can it sing. in the car. You, you, you can do the... You know the Kenny G trick and just keep looping it over yeah. and over again. <laughs> yeah, it's got the little talking, you know, which kind of yeah. gives you that the 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 um I don't know. It's just the goofiness that that you know is part of Genesis. Um, I enjoy that song. That's definitely a highlight for me. I was not aware until consulting the wikis that this song was apparently inspired by the cover painting. Or at least the lyrics, which I find to be amusing. Huh. I thought it was about their roadie. <laughs> it was about their no, the, no. The dude, the dude had many jobs, and you know, he was a gardener before he was uh, a roadie, and he ended up a, a baker at the end, and he died of a drug overdose or something. But the, the, the dude just, you know, was. Impression. He, he made a strong impression on the band. So um, I, I'm just. I I don't know, but I'm looking here at my my official insert from the the vinyl. Nice. And it says, "I know what I like in your wardrobe." And then in parentheses underneath, it says lyrics based on the cover painting. Oh, it is interesting. Um, it does say that uh, Swanwick, Betty Swanwick, who did the painting, added uh, the lawnmower to the original painting at the band's request. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't even remember seeing a lawnmower in the picture. Oh, yeah, there it is. How about that? All this time. Look at me. Okay. Oh, yeah. Right next to the guy. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's about time he was out on his own. It's kind of hidden. Oh, okay. The dude, yeah, the dude on the bench, Jacob Finster. Okay, he could never hold jobs. He was a lawnmower, a pawn clerk, clerk, and a cashier. Uh, by the time he died, worked in a donut shop. So you know, it's uh, it's it's everything. <laughs> yeah, you know, and this is one of those songs. This this is you know whether. As you sort of start to look back into early Genesis, this song obviously being the first successful single, this is one of the songs that you know, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's one of the first ones you come across, even though you don't actually get to the entire album for probably quite some time, depending on how you get into it. But you're at least aware of it. And, you know, there, there's when you talk about prog albums, right, there's always some sort of stigma associated with the single, the the successful song, or whatnot, but I, I I don't really have any stigma to attach here. I quite enjoy this song. I will say I enjoy the song more live. I think, hmm. but ooh, okay. Well, in our last episode, I was bitter with Tony for making fun of Phil's, uh, sorry, Peter's flute playing, 
Uh, but at the end of this track, the studio track, there are some crappy ass flute playing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's just the key of A doesn't work so well for an instrument in the key of C or what it is, but he too high in his range. But that <laughs> ah. little repetitive thing he's doing just doesn't doesn't work for me. Maybe it's maybe it's uh uh, representative of the the character of the song, never being able to hold down, <laughs> hold down <laughs> a flute part. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's. I great. feel like this this song could translate well into an acoustic version, uh, particularly since often I look across the empty bar when I'm playing gigs, and I and I just want to go hum de dum de dum. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've I think you've got a, a path here, Paul. <laughs> That's great. And, and that takes us into Firth of Fifth. Now, here again, this is a song with which I was much more familiar, Ken, thanks to you. So years and years ago at this point, and I, I could look it up and, and figure out exactly what year, when Steve Hackett had started his Genesis Revisited thing, you had put me on to not that so much, although I did. I bought that first. But there's a double live album that he made with that band called the Tokyo Tapes. And that was what you had specifically directed me to. And that has John Wetton singing and playing bass on it, among other luminaries. And Firth of Fifth in that is just phenomenal. So when I got Selling England by the Pound, I couldn't wait because I'm like, yeah, this has Firth of Fifth. And I was very, very excited by that. So I've not, I, yeah, I can't imagine anyone other than Genesis doing this track. It's amazing. Yeah, go definitely go check out the, the Tokyo Tapes. I think Wetton does a phenomenal job. Now, that band does, and, and we can talk about this, um, you know, at some point. I think when we talk about the whole Supper's Ready thing, Steve's band, Steve's solo band's, have interesting interpretations of certain instrumental sections of the music, and it's no different for Firth of Fifth. But just when you get to those, those uh, we'll call them dirgy um, verses, uh, it just wet and just kills it for me. I think he's great. Cool. So, so Ken, tonight you had called this uh, a dirge, and I said, well, I like the dirge. <laughs> Are, are you fully quoting me? Because I, I put a lot of effort into slamming this song. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me let me pull it up, I, and I will quote you directly, Ken. I, I said, I'll celebrate Epping in Trash Firth of Fifth. Yes. Yeah. And then you said, you said, Firth of that Epping Fifth, it's a slow <laughs> dirge. <laughs> you know, so, so, so it's funny. I started off with the, the myth of the Firth, and... I was predisposed to like it, and I decided I just was not into Epping. But after doing the research for this episode, it flipped entirely, and I'm done with Firth, and I can't get enough Epping. That's phenomenal, because I still love Firth, and I don't know that I'm ever going to listen to Epping again. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and, and for me, uh, I love... Like I love that sort of slower, heavy vocal line, and I find the the lyrics on this just I, I find them to be compelling. I really, really hmm. dig them. 
uh, especially the last verse. Now as the river dissolves in sea, so Neptune has claimed another soul. And so with gods and men, the sheep remain inside their pen until the shepherd leads his flock away. The sands of time were eroded by the river of constant change. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> well, I guess this song survived. You know, it, 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 was, it was redone in so many ways beyond this album yeah you so know it, it it resonated it, it it does and and but in this particular version like i said i love i love those verses i think they're phenomenal i like it when it you know you get the break into the flute solo then into the keyboard solo and then into that just slick guitar solo that yeah. uh, that steve does you know, and then it comes out of there into that last verse that just that kills me. Um, yeah, it, it's funny. It's funny because I the guitar solo for me sort of goes back and forth between that annoying stiff uh, middle school guitar tone and then these j just absolutely fantastic bends. Yeah, that mm -hmm. that he mm -hmm. does. So it's like part of it. I'm like, ah doesn't sound great and then the other parts are just like oh my gosh he's playing like a, an amazing deity of guitar godness <laughs> and you know but uh, you know it's funny for me like the i think the i've never really gotten into the lyrics because i think during the the like maybe it's the dirginess of it but the but the the uh, the verse parts really don't interest me musically very much in this song but the the piano stuff going on at the beginning, the big solo in the and the uh, the the with the the sharp drumming that's just so tight with the keyboards, I think gives us a a, a big preview to what actually is going to be happening later uh, beyond the four man band and into the the three piece version of Genesis. What we're going to be getting, um, it's that that's the part of this song that. That I really that I, that really gets me. That really kind of sticks with me. But overall, it's 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 kind of. I feel like I'm doing wrong by Genesis fans to not like this song so much. But man, it's not it's not my face. It's not a highlight for me. Well, where, where that feeling hit me is the um, the flute solo and the guitar solo start from the same melody, mm -hmm. and it, it they they. Go into this. I, I don't know, E minorish, B minorish, back and forth, and I found that it was like innocent and cute on the flute, but it was almost like too obvious. They were doing the same melody and the same key, and it was kind of formulaic for me, and it didn't have the obfuscation or it didn't have the creativity or it didn't have the twist that I was looking for from Genesis. It was, it was just like, Oh, formula, you play this melody, you play the same melody and let's see where we go with it. Mm. It'd be interesting to know who played the melody first and who copied it. <laughs> and, and who was obfuscating. Yeah. <laughs> Ken getting in on the palaver words. I love it. Or failing, failing to obfuscate. I mean, I mean, I mean, usually, usually, you know, I'm going to do what the other guy did. But hey, I'm Ken, make this it is so a family different. podcast, so watch the language, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, we're explicit. Never mind. Say whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <I'm> just... <laughs> yeah. 
It must. You be, know, and the, the funny thing, Ken, if if all of those things that you just said, if all of that happened before they had ever written and we had ever heard uh, Watcher of the Skies and Get Him Out by Friday, that might be okay. But now it's just not. Right, 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 right. It's it's a little sophomoric. You know, they know how to make this stuff just a little twistier, a little bendier, a little wilder, a little dreamier. See, and, and this is this is where being the, the less informed schmo of the group allows me more latitude to like things that are perhaps less elevated. Mm. I don't know, man. It's just a classic track, right? I mean, this is, I think this is probably a, a lot. I mean, this is, if people are making a mixtape of old Genesis and they get to selling England by the pound, I mean, this is going to be on pretty much everybody's except apparently mine and Ken's. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and, and I, I really wonder how much of this is driven by, again, my initial experience with the, with the Wetton version, but it is huh. what it is. <laughs> I just imagine this, like, you finally get your Genesis reunion and you end up paying, like, freaking $200 in fees and you go there and all you get to hear is, like, first of fifth. It's like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so from, from first of fifth, we go into, you know, a, a Genesis first. So more fool me. This is the Phil and Mike show. Written by Phil and Mike, Bill gets, you know, a, a, this is, I guess, his, his second full solo vocal um, for the band. But I guess, as Rutherford described it, you know, Phil didn't come into the band with the idea of being a songwriter. However, Phil or Mike, Mike also points out that certain things just sort of came naturally and quickly to Phil. And he describes he and Phil sort of sitting down and, and writing this track uh, very quickly, which I think, you know, it kind of sounds like that a little bit. Mm. But, you know, it, it's the first thing they wrote together, which is, is very cool. And I, I don't I don't know if this is accurate or not, but as I was listening to it here in the last couple of days, I was I was actually struggling for something to find to say about this song because I don't know what made much of an impression on me. Um, but I, I did finally decide that the choruses have this sort of an early Eagles vibe to them. You know, there's, you know, huh. it's very acoustic and you've got, you know, the, the vocal harmonies and everything else. Um, and, and I like early Eagles for those sorts of things. So. Wow. Well, well, that's in the context of them, yeah, uh, assessing their British identity and the uh, American influence on the British. That's that's quite interesting. That <laughs> the drummer steps up and writes an American song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, listen. Anytime you want to strum a twelve string and sing three part harmony, I'm pretty much okay with that. <laughs> and and this is a pr it's a pretty song, and it's three minutes long, and it's a good it's a good breather between. Firth of Fifth and the Battle of Epping Forest. So um, that's, mm -hmm. that's about it for me. You know, and, and when you talk about the, the vinyl, right? So this closes side one, and then you get to ah, flip okay. over and, and, and get to the Battle of Epping Forest. I think one of the, the biggest and most well-kept secrets of early Genesis 
and we talked about this before as well, is is how much singing Phil actually does yeah. once he joins the band, right? And I think, you know, while he's got a lead here and he had what there was a lead on nursery crime, I think, for for absent friends or something like that. Yep. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think certainly in Selling England and and The Lamb, Phil's backing vocals become more prominent throughout as well. And I, I ultimately think that had a lot to do with the the ease of the transition from a, an audience point of view when Phil took over singing because they were used to him, I think. And I, you know, and we'll get there, obviously, but I, I've always been fascinated by the likenesses and and yet dissimilarities between Phil's and Peter's vocals, right? Mm. I mean, they're they're in the same sort of neighborhood, but they're really not the same house at all. You know, it's it's a completely different layout. So, you know, Paul, I'll I'll, I'll use your example, right? You one of the one of the models in in your neighborhood is the Cortland, right? Yeah, yes, it is. That's so, but. So if Peter Gabriel's a Cortland, then Phil is in the same neighborhood, but he's one of the other model homes, right? Yeah. And it, the, the layout's totally different and, and everything else. Yes. And yet when they're side by side, they go very well together. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So as, as sort of like sort of like peas and carrots, maybe. <laughs> kind of like peas and <laughs> carrots. Or bangers and mash, if we keep it English. You know, there are a couple of of London. <laughs> pub like restaurants that have popped up here in north texas so i i do have the ability to go get some bangers and mash and i'm very very happy with that yeah there's a place yeah. close by here that has slamming bangers and mash i should go there more often than there's, I do. there's just something about english brown gravy that rocks mm. <laughs> we're, we're gonna flip the record over now and 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 talk about the battle <laughs> the battle of epping forest yes <laughs> Now, I, you know, I don't know how you guys want to deal with this. Like, should I just crap on it and then step back and let you guys gush on it? Or? Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> well, you start crapping on it and we'll just jump in when we're ready. So I and, and I, I really wasn't joking when I said I really don't think I'm ever going to listen to this song again, because I while there are some things musically that that are interesting to me. I, I think these vocals are just a freaking mess, um, oh. especially when, oh. especially when you know, Paul, you talk about the relationship to to Foxtrot, right? So get them yeah. out by Friday. We we gushed about how wonderful that theatrical presentation was and the different characters and everything else. Have you guys ever seen a fish called Wanda? Yes. Oh yeah. Have you ever seen? The follow-up movie with the same cast of characters called Fierce Creatures? No. There, no. There's a reason you haven't seen that. <laughs> <laughs> because, because it's a terrible movie. And just because you have the same people who are brilliant in amongst themselves and trying to sort of do the same thing but differently doesn't mean it works out. And, mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. that's, what, that's how I interpret you know, Pete's attempt at... Um, dramatic personnel here it's just wow it's it's i i think it's terrible i think most of the vocal lines that he has through this have nothing to do with the music at all 
we've all heard the the complaints lodged against Pete of him wanting to put too many words in. Here you go. This is it. Um, I think you know the the little fife and drum intro is silly. I think the first musical transition into that second part of the song is jarring and potentially terrible. Um, <laughs> jarring and potentially terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds me of a Star Wars character. <laughs> now, I will say, um, I, I do think there are some times in here when I, when I find Phil and Mike really grabbing my attention. Which is is cool, although Ken, you you know, you've already made the the uh, the indication that some of Mike's playing is perhaps less subtle than it needs to be, but um, I, I do think it, that was something that was going on here, and and the the weird part about this is late in this song, and and I'll have to kind of rack my brain to figure out what it is, but there are there are parts to this late in the song that to me point very much to early Peter Gabriel records, the the, mm. the first one or two. But they're not necessarily the Peter Gabriel records that I really like a lot. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's, that's my say on the Battle of Epping Forest. I'm going to let you guys then counterbalance that hmm. and tell me, you know, what's, what's great about it. Well, like I said, earlier i think you all the criticisms that you want to lay uh, on this album i think are fair i searched the lyrics for this song because i you know i had to follow along because there's just hard to follow and i searched it once and i said oh those aren't the right lyrics and then i searched it another time and i was like well those aren't the right how many songs can there be named the battle of epping forest <laughs> So and then I actually looked at the lyrics and played the song and I was like, holy shit, that is the, that is the first line of the song. <laughs> so, so, um, I, I do think though, when you sit here and read the lyrics and listen to, and, and listen to Peter Gabriel, uh, do this, I think it is a triumph in story storytelling and the fact that he can do it in the, these odd time signatures with you know just i mean and, and the, listen i think the keyboard line is a perfect like seven eight keyboard line you don't necessarily if you just listen to the keyboard part it doesn't strike you as terribly odd it doesn't strike you as something like this would be hard but when everyone starts playing over it and starts doing their thing it becomes like oh my god like it's it's becomes very full busy and complicated and and like Probably someone should have said, "Yo, Phil, like maybe the six-eight feel shuffle in this during the chorus, right? right. We, when no one else is doing it, like maybe we could just like tie, you know, back off that a little bit." Yet at the same time, no one told him that because they're young and they're just going for it and they're having a great time. And I, Peter Gabriel, fucking delivers yes. with this song yes. and when i when i sit there and read read along the lyrics and listen to all his voices mm -hmm. and all of the mm -hmm. shit that he's coming up with and um and it is you know when you read more about you know the 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 meaning of the song and everything he he puts so much english stuff in there that the first pass through i'm like i don't even know what this is but then when you read it you you start to realize oh this is this is a very just an english 
this is an English term. I think my favorite one is um, when he he's talking about being the reverend, and um, and he goes, oh, yeah, uh, I, you know, I, we could interest you in our Stadfordshire plate, which is like a slang for sexual conduct. So like there's you know there's all of these little English things thrown in. So so busy as shit, uh, crazy arrangement. I think it's an epic uh, triumph in storytelling for Peter Gabriel. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And and, and I I was not one for the words initially. It, it was it was it was too busy. Where he sold me was. Um, after the little first picnic jammy, I suppose you oh <laughs> you could probably call that a mini chorus, you know, when they when they when they vamp on the word picnic. Yeah. <laughs> but but then he he really gets a fantastic delivery in the next verse. It's five to four on William Wright. He made his pile on Derby Night when Billy was a kid walking the streets. The other kids hid, so they did. Now, after working hard in security trade, he's got it made. And the shops that need aid are those that haven't paid. So those that haven't paid, th this is a protection racket from the gang. Right. Exactly. And this is two gangs fighting. And he is such the English gentleman. But he's talking about the salt of the earth, the rough and tumble gang members. And I just love the 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 the, the arc of the the story i mean it, it's no supper is ready arc but there's a little arc here it is a battle they assemble they gather there's tension and there clearly is some kind of a fight and 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 the characters have personalities it's fantastic yeah that's awesome ken <laughs> well i'm glad you guys like it so much <laughs> oh man and, and just 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 the tonal quality of his voice in some of these yeah. um He's just right up on the condenser mic. He's given you that little lip poppy stuff. And he, he really draws me in to, yeah, to, to yeah. that performance. And then he does things like, but the devil caught hold of my soul and a voice called out, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Joe, if, if, if we could just <laughs> dial back. Joe's face right now is great. <laughs> It's and, and and you know live, I think they kind of crash and burn on this because you if you can't hear the words on the record, how the fuck are you going to hear it live? You know what I mean? Yeah, right. So, but but if you could hear this with maybe a, an a, an acoustic ensemble behind him, I I think he could sell you on these lyrics. I don't know. It, it, and it is a nice prelude to um, Lamb because you know. Uh, Rail is a city boy. He's kind of rough and tumble with his his boyish dreams and whatnot. So he's 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 just as much one of these gang members. Well, I, you know, I think there, like I said, there there's a lot that that points through Selling England to the Lamb. You know, when when we first started this, I was. I was never really sold on the lamb. I'm much more sold than I am now, but I always thought it was indulgence for the sake of indulgence. Let's piss some more people off. Much in the same way that you could say Tales from Topographic Oceans is. I, I've come to realize that there's there's a I think there's a lot more 
worthwhile in the lamb than I would have originally thought. But it's still, I still think you're, it's a downward trend from Foxtrot, you know, and, and it, like Paul said, if this had come before Foxtrot, maybe we'd be having a totally different conversation and yeah. we'd be talking about, you know, how they, how they're developing these skills and everything else. But I mean, when I just think the, 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 the dramatic personnel here and the delivery is is far inferior to get them out by Friday, and so I'm not interested. If I want I, this kind of experience, I'll go listen to get them out by Friday. I think that's pretty fair, man. I think that as we're kind of saying, you know, they're pushing, they're going, they're trying harder, they're doing as much as they can. They're they're really pushing themselves to be as creative as possible, and I think this is an example where. If if you can dig through it, you you can find a deep appreciation for what's happening here and, and really and really love it. At the same time, it's uh it it's also probably something that, you know, it's 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 similar to when when we've talked about authors, right? Once they write a couple of, of good books, they stopped be stop being edited right so all, all their books go from 350 pages to 500 and 700 pages <laughs> and while the stories are still great and very detailed and very you you don't really need probably a third of what's in there yeah uh, and this could be guilty of the same I, I was gonna say this is a great segue to the next track do you guys have fond memories of the voyage of acolyte i, I had it on cassette I remember you having that on cassette, and uh, I, I don't know it too well. Yeah, I, I had never heard it until recently, actually. Um, I never owned any Steve Hackett solo until... Uh, well, I mean, I had bought the, uh, the Genesis Revisited and the Tokyo tapes, which led me down other rabbit holes, but I only started buying them probably about two years ago. Yeah, it's, it's funny. You know, people who love Steve Hackett love Steve Hackett. And I went down that well, and I, I, I listened to everything he was doing, very melodic. And then I kind of never went back. Um, and, and, you know, and, and I, I, I explained in the last episode that I thought he had some, you know, kind of schizophrenic twists where, you know, he, he, he had these campy sounds in the old days, and then he got really huge sounds recently and i don't know who he is kind of at his core <laughs> but <laughs> but i do credit him for for making a viable sol solo album i guess that's where i'm headed with this it was a ballsy move and what and was was this like during part of this time or was it after 75 this okay, is 73 so, so two years after this so yeah yeah okay yeah, i want to i want to say voyage of the acolyte was recorded between the lamb and and trick of the tail right Sounds about right, somewhere in there, and and probably because he was just so dissatisfied with not getting his material in the records, right? Which ultimately, yeah, and and I'm sure we'll get to that when we get there. So, so we're talking about after the ordeal, which, given my feelings on the Battle of Epping Forest, I think is appropriately named. Huh. Had to make that joke. Mm. <laughs> ah, ah, ah. Ah. <laughs> All right, and I think the Yes uh, solo albums didn't start until about 75 either, so well, probably, in, probably in sync. Except for Rick Wakeman this year. 
Well, yes, Rick Wakeman is, uh, yeah, somewhat the exception because he was he was a he was a solo artist when he came into Yes. Yes, exactly. So I find I find after the ordeal to be very grand. <laughs> Oh, Sorry, your, your your joke about that coming after the battle ebbing for us just really hit me hard just, <laughs> just now. It took that long. It's it's but. a slow burn joke, but <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I I don't know about an ordeal, but it it it's kind of the the raw deal where they couldn't <laughs> they couldn't decide how to write a nice song, so everybody just gets to do whatever they want. <laughs> You know, but I do think, you know, much like we were talking about Horizons on Foxtrot, right? You do need some sort of a buffer between the Battle of Epping Forest and the cinema show. Yeah. You know, so I, here again, you know, they, they knew something about, about you know, staging and, and, and organ albums and things like that. So, Oh, hell yeah. 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 Which takes us into one of the classic genesis tracks that would be the cinema show mm. did you know about this before exploring this album the the t.s Eliot, the wasteland connection or i mean just just the song itself the melodies you know had had cinnamon show permeated your orbit on its own oh i don't know that it did um like I said, for me, Firth of Fifth was, and I know what I like, were, were the two that I knew. I think I, you know, once you start getting into it, you pick up pretty quickly on the cinema show. Um, simply because, um, and let me verify this. I want to say it's on seconds out. Yeah, it is. It's, it's on seconds out. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it shows up on, you know, a lot of the compilations and stuff as well. So, you know, it, it's, it's obvious that there's something here and, and I think there, you know, there are some aspects to this song that, you know, there, there's a reason I think it's, it's recognized as, as one of the quote unquote classic Genesis tracks. So it, once you get in, once you get to Selling England by the Pound, I think the cinema show sort of presents itself very easily. Hmm. The one question that I have with this, right, and I'm curious on on your guys' thoughts. Um, so uh, you know, obviously, we have the the intro being you know this this lovely twelve string Genesis deal, which you know who doesn't like that, right? All right. But I, I, I literally wrote down, do I like the harmonies? <laughs> because they're, I don't know, that that repeat of the cinema show bit, it's just like, is it, is it painful on purpose? Is it, is it a good pain? Is it just pain? It's sloppy. Okay, it, it is sloppy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at some point during the making of this album, they they all kind of voted for feel over uh, uh, perfection. I would say there there are just so many places where I think that Phil and Tony are slip sliding away from each other. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In this album, 
and then you know you 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 you're you're talking about you know Phil and Pete not really being truly in alignment right and, and I would have to agree and, and it's it's weird though that they allowed that because that 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 time when they repeat cinema show in the beginning everyone else drops out it's just those two singing and you're just like oh jesus what the hell Mm-hmm. I I wish that there were more dropouts throughout the album, but you know it's 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 welcome here, but agreed a little sloppy. Interesting. Now I wasn't aware of this T. S. Eliot connection. That was something I literally just came across, and I'm interested to go in, you know, down that particular rabbit hole. And the reason I'm interested, I don't know if you guys looked at the wiki on this. If you click on the link to the T.S. Eliot poem, The Wasteland, which apparently is regarded as one of the most important poems in, uh, you know, whatever. I don't know if it's ever the 20th century, whatever. It's really important. But it's based loosely on um, King Arthur and the Fisher King. Now, when I see the Fisher King, I immediately think of the Robin Williams, Jeff Bridges movie and get all excited about that. And so, you know, any... I love how these these tendrils sort of spread themselves out um, with regard to this. But yeah, you know, I I, I do I, I like the the intro. I think it's it's very very cool. I don't necessarily I haven't had a, the ability yet to make sense of these lyrics, but there are some parts of it that I really really like. You know, we've we've talked before. I, the thing I love about Peter Gabriel, certainly early Peter Gabriel, is he is not at all shy about using very very strange names in his lyrics. So here we've got, and I, I can't even remember how he says it, but it's Tyrosius. Mm. You know, and he he sings that line like twice, which is amazing that he just you know just. Puts it right through there. But when he gets to the part where and that that whole section, I don't know if you want to call it a verse or a chorus or whatever the hell it is. Um, listen to the old one speak of all he has lived through. I have crossed between the poles. For me, there's no mystery. Once a man like the sea I raged, once a woman like the earth I gave, there is in fact more earth than sea. Ooh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Wow. I dig it. And and the Okay. The, the, that makes up for your epping your epping fail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I just I, I love those words. I love the vocal lines that that deliver those words. I think it's phenomenal. And what was cool when you're when you're reading Rutherford's book, right, is he talks about the the seven eight section at the end. And what he says is when they would play this live, Pete and Steve would leave the stage. And mm. it, it was just Mike, Phil, and Tony. You know, here we are back in 1973, and you get sort of this, this long-distance preview of what Genesis will be, you know, in, in the live show. And how cool is that? Oh, wow. Yeah. And it sounds like it, too. Yeah. Like it definitely sounds like this is that you could pick this up and extract it and put it, drop it somewhere else in the later years, and uh, you'd have the same 
the same kind of thing. Yeah, and, and like I said, that's that's what I like about about this Genesis story is if you look, you really can see it from such an early stage where it winds up. It's very cool. <laughs> I like the pun on uh, like origin story and Genesis story. Um, yeah. Everything for Genesis is a Genesis story. <laughs> At least it, it goes somewhere. It does progress. Um, it is progressive it's funny. rock. <laughs> Very progressive. Uh, 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 the lyric, uh, Romeo locks his basement flat, makes me harken back to uh, Desolation Row from Bob Dylan. I looked it up. It's 1965. And I even looked up uh, West Side Story. That's 1961 in the movie format. And it's like interesting how I just see these American influences percolating into uh, mm. Genesis. There's, there's, there's no doubt that you know the gangs in Epping Forest harken back to West Side Story, and and and, and the the rail character in, in Lamb kind of takes me into a musical. Well, and, and I think that's part of the narrative here, right? Because I believe it was. It was after Foxtrot, before they wrote this album, was when they had their first U.S. tour. So it was mm-hmm. it was their first exposure to America and American culture, and apparently it it, it had an influence. And mm-hmm. then I guess when they went back for selling, um, I want to say that's when Peter became infatuated, if you will, with with the story behind the Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. And and felt compelled to make that record. So, hmm. Hmm. but we'll get to that next episode. Interesting. Absolutely. So I don't think that I had really too much knowledge of the cinema show prior to listening to this record, this go around. I don't know how it escaped me all these years, but soon as I heard the main twelve-string melody. I felt like it had been a song that I've heard my entire life. It was it was a very weird experience. I th- it is it is one of the most beautiful passages that we've heard in, in all of to me, at least to me in all of the albums up to this point, and I love it. And I do have to just throw out there that I think the reason why I felt like I had heard it all my life is because later it it made me realize that it was very similar to the beginning of the Bob Welch song, Sentimental Lady, which which uh, I believe he recorded in 1977. And I'm, I thought, I wonder if he totally ripped off Genesis <laughs> for that. And yet, turns out that that song was originally written for Fleetwood Mac in 1972. Oh! So... Um, I found that quite interesting. Now you cannot you cannot confuse either one of those two songs at all, um, but it just uh, that the beginning to that sentimental lady that was a song I loved playing on my radio show in college, and um, and so uh, it was just interesting to me that that parallel. But I um, you you've hit it, Joe. The the opening the opening part with the twelve string I love I don't mind the vocals at the beginning at all I think they're great and the the lyrics that you you pointed out are my favorite and then the the part at the end with the solo that gives us the the preview um, to the future Genesis definitely the cinema show big highlight for me on selling England by the pound yeah. absolutely 
this album in general and this track, Tony never does not play on one. Like if <laughs> if, if 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 you <laughs> if you were gonna like take just one track to solo to represent the whole album on any Genesis album, it would probably have to be Tony's track. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the dude, the dude never tires of sounds, and he, he's he's always got another sound lined up. He knows his rule, and he knows how he's going to keep this interesting. And uh, you know, on here, I thought he he went a little too moogie, a little too fusion in some places, but damn, he keeps my attention. Yeah, and, and and I think this ties in with with my idea that you know Tony has has become or is is becoming the central cog in all of this. You know, Tony. And when you when you hear interviews now, right? They all everyone talks about Tony's sort of demeanor and 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 his his personality and whatnot, and and. But it's never quite certain if if everyone sort of accepted Tony in that role, or Tony just made sure he was in that role, and everyone else could <laughs> suck it, right? <laughs> but but, but, the, but he he's reliable. I mean, we you know we just have you know folks in our work, in our families, in our lives who are just always playing on the down of one yeah. and he's one of those guys yeah i love it so we can finish up quickly then with um with isle of plenty so we we sort of reprise the the melody from moonlit night right but, yeah but we joe is this is this listed as a separate track on your vinyl recording it is indeed listed as a separate track okay i don't have much to say about that last track other than the re the recapitulation is cool most of the time, I felt like it was the, it was a bolt-on to cinema show. Mm -hmm. I was actually happy to find out that it was a separate track. Um, but I wanted to mention something about Rhett Davies, who was the the, the engineer. Yeah. For this, because he went on to do quite a bunch of stuff. Um. He he worked. He did King Crimson's Discipline beat. Oh. The the B fifty twos. Wild Planet. Okay. Yeah. Party Party Mix. Split Ends. Uh wow. Second Thoughts. The Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. Dazzle Ships. Till Tuesday's Welcome Home. And wow. Wang Chung's Huang Chung. Really? Yeah. So I um I never expected that when I clicked on his little link there on, on the wikis. So Rhett Davies. That's fascinating. Um, yeah, a lot of stuff happening going on there. Huh. And much more, much more. I just, you know, those were just the highlights. That's great. My goodness. I'm just wondering now if, if John Burns has any mojo here. Uh, Not so much on his, on his uh, list. I didn't notice. Well, well actually. Uh, Jethro Tull. Yeah, uh, yeah. Burning Spear, Jimmy Cliff, and the Mayalls. Not bad. Not bad. Yep. Okay. Did a lot of live, it looks like, stuff too. Live engineering for some pretty oh, big, big heavyweights. Blind Faith. Oh, my God. Could you imagine engineering Blind Faith in 1969? Mm -hmm. 
Wow. Humble pie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this this guy is pretty amazing. He did also engineer Motorhead's self-titled album in 1977. Uh, that had to mean something. That's Somebody cool. had to do it. Yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah, there you have it. That's pretty amazing. All right. So that, I think closes out selling England by the pound. Um, you know, and, and I don't want anyone to think that, you know, I don't enjoy this album. I don't think this is a good album. I don't think. Oh, you should have thought of that before you trashed Epping Forest for 10 minutes, Joe. <laughs> I only trashed it for five, but, uh, <laughs> you know, honestly, I think, I, I think from nursery crime on, you know, it's, it's all, it's all solid stuff. And there's, there's, oh, as you said, Paul, there's always something to enjoy there, right? There's, mm. there's something yeah. you're going to find. And I think in a lot of ways, it's, you know, it, it's difficult to follow up a Foxtrot. Um, and, and, you know, but that's not to say that, that this album is terrible. And there was a time when I thought it was, it was the best of the early Genesis. So, you know, clearly there was something that I responded to, um, you know, last calendar year. It's just bizarre that they replaced Paul Whitehead with Betty Swainick because what she came up with is kind of similar to what Paul was doing. It's weird, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 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 But well, that's what, you're only as good as your last album cover. Well, and then boom, <laughs> on to the next one. Well, and you know, it will, I, I've always been fascinated with the Lambs album cover. I don't know that it's any better, but I've been fascinated by it. Hmm. I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> so next episode gentlemen we get to look forward to uh to talking about the the double album concept if we'll call it that with the non-related story on the inside that is the lamb lies down on broadway that's going to be a, a lot to unpack there um mm-hmm you know, I'll be curious to see how that uh, that turns out. It'd be nice if we could have Tom on there because I'm I'm curious how someone as unabashedly pro Gabriel era Genesis as Tom is, how he feels about the Lamb. There's there's beauty in there. There's beauty in there. Oh, absolutely. I, I won't absolutely. entirely slaughter the animal. All right, but we'll save that for next time, guys. Thanks so much for uh, discussing selling England by the pound here. enjoyed this episode of progressive blabber as always we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you and it's really been fun to talk about selling england by the pound we encourage and welcome your thoughts and your feedback on this or any other genesis album or any other album we've talked about you can reach us on facebook instagram or twitter we are at prog paula on all of those that's p-r-o-g-p-a-l-a or you can search for progressive palaver you're also welcome to email us. Our email address is progpala at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple, Google, and Spotify in terms of podcasts. And we are hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening.
crash your car, coincidental I had just left from the bar It may be nothing Just a little scratch or two I understand your agitation But the lease runs out real soon Yeah, you know, I think we should get I think we should get Tony Banks and Stephen Wilson together for dinner and just and just let them go at it with one another. We could probably have some fun. We could we could just sit we don't we could just sit there and throw out provocative statements and, and just, just listen to them banter. Well, right. Say the, so, the Dickens in whatever. So now we're going to fodder for jokes. Excuse we're, me. We're, <laughs> <laughs>